All right, well, I'm not going to lie. we got to go right into this tonight. There's a, uh, a lot of work that we need to do. I do want to say, um, first of all, that this is an incredible date in history. If you think 500 years ago, Martin Luther, um, on the conviction built that the Word of God is true, uh, changed the world forever. Um, and there were other reformers that don't get as much um, kind of limelight as he does. Uh, people like William Tyndale, who literally risked his life, spilt his blood, was was literally strangled to death, and then his body four years later was unburied. And, uh, unburied. Un, his body was in the ground, and then it was not anymore. And then they burnt that. Like They were that mad at this man because he was the one who literally gave his life to giving us a Bible in English. And it was cool because right whenever he was about to die, they, um, the, his persecutors looked at him, this is just crazy, and basically gave him last words, and he said, I just prayed that, that the Lord would rescue the king. A few years later, King George, I think the fourth, decided that we needed a Bible, and it's where we end up getting our King James version of this man giving his life, because um, he was, had, was convicted that we needed the Bible. Um, so it's appropriate tonight that we're going to be doing two verses uh, these verses are the ones that if you ever hear anything about the doctrine of the Bible, people go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Uh, so that's where we're going to be tonight. Go ahead and turn there. This is a cool passage because it's actually another uh, passage in the Bible about the Bible. Um, it's just like if you remember the rightly handling the word of truth message we did a few weeks back. Um, this message is going to aim, hopefully, to be immediately practical for you. I don't want you to leave here with a bunch of head knowledge going on. I want you to leave here with tools to know, like, I have this Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a miracle that I have it. How do I use it? How, how can this start a reformation in my life? How can we see the Lord move and work in his word? You've got to know how to use this. Um, I will say this, though. We do need to start, whenever we get into this text, with one weighty doctrine, um, so because of that, I need to say this, my goal is not to spend time puffing you up with knowledge, because a lot of the content in this doctrine is extremely controversial. So even controversial some in some Christian circles, uh, exactly how you define this doctrine. And, and also if you are here and you have no business with Christ, you do not follow him, it's going to be very controversial for you. So go and prepare yourself. This, uh, you could be offended by what we're talking about. Um, but if you are in Christ, here's, here's my goal. My goal is for this doctrine to be gasoline on the fire in your heart to want to know God and his word. So I don't just want to give you a bunch of doctrine. I want you to love it, cherish it, but ultimately I want to drive you to his word. And also for those of you that may be offended, I know that the word of God is powerful enough to convince you that it is true. God can work by his spirit to bring you to repentance tonight. And I will, a few more qualifiers, this is a three-part introduction, so buckle up. Um, this message will be very system, systematized to make sure we get every bit of truth that we can. And because it's only two verses, whenever you do expository preaching um, with only two verses, or like short amount of verses, it means that you're going to need other texts to build around it to make sure that we're making that point clear. Does that make sense? Like the shorter the passage, the more sub-points we need to be around it because there's not as much content in that. So we are going to kind of jump around a little bit for one of our main points. And I would just challenge you not to try to keep up like sword drill with me. They're all going to be on the screen. And if you're taking notes, just kind of jot the references down to check me later, okay? Um, I mean, you can, if you're good and you can flip around there, that's fine. But I would, it, it might be hard. Um, 
So before we look at these two verses, this introduction number two, um, we need to, as I said, do a lot of cross-referencing. And, and there's actually just three points tonight. So here's your first note you can take. And like a good Baptist, they all start with P. So here we go. There is the power, the prophet, and the purpose. Look at us, Southern Baptist Church. Um, keep in mind that in this context, there is densely packed Verses with doctrine about the Bible, but ultimately in the context, this is the main point for tonight, you get one thing. Your conviction about the truthfulness of the Word of God will be a deciding factor in your perseverance in ministry. You need to know that. If you have a high view of the Bible, what it says is true, I really can know God in the Word, you're going to persevere. If you start to doubt or not believe or slip away from this Bible is all authoritative, you may be losing perseverance. So some of you tonight that are thinking, I barely made it. I have not engaged in gospel conversations. I started out the semester so on fire. This is for you because all we're going to do is celebrate the fact that the Bible is true. And I pray the Lord would use that to help you keep going in your faith. So the power, that's going to be the doctrine of inspiration of Scripture. The prophet, why that is profitable for us, not like prophet, like Old Testament prophet. And the purpose, which is why we need to be changed by the Word of God. So that's where we're going. And let's go and go to our, to our first verse, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let me get there. Should be on the board. Good deal. All right, you ready? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, first things first. If you, can't, if you don't notice, I'm wanting to highlight the first two words of this verse. At first, okay? And, and this is, in this context, the all scripture there will be talking about the Old Testament. Okay, so Paul's writing this to Timothy. Timothy, you've got to know this. If you're going to keep going and not quit, all scripture. So the claim is that the books in our Bible, in the Old Testament, is God's word. The very words of God. And even if you look at the Greek word there for scripture, this would also seem to be consistent with saying, Paul's talking about the Old Testament here. So know that. The Old Testament, what we have in our Bibles, the words of God. However, there is also good reason to know and believe that the New Testament is God's word as well. And we'll get some help from a lot of sources here. But I, I, basically what we're going to do is connect some dots with some text to show us that we have good reason to think that not only is the Old Testament the Word of God, but also the New Testament that we have is directly from God. So the first text we need to look at that is John 14.10. It says this. This is Jesus himself showing that he has authority to speak the words of God. Okay? This verse. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. So, Jesus is saying that his union with the Father is demonstrating that his words are the words of God. And then, in John 16, 13, Jesus prepares his apostles, or the disciples, to speak with, the, with his authority by his spirit to the church. Look at John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, that's Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, 
But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So logically, the Spirit of God, third person of the Trinity, will guide the apostles or the disciples into all truth based on the authority that Jesus is speaking God's words. We there? Is that that okay? Old Testament is, Jesus comes in and says, I'm speaking with the same authority as your Old Testament Bible. And then he says, my spirit is going to come and guide you into the same authority that I have. So you kind of have a little chain there, right? Old Testament's God's word. Jesus comes on the scene. My words are God's words. I'm going to give you my spirit so that what you're speaking is also God's words. So, in the apostles, this is is them speaking on their own authority. 1 Corinthians 2.13. Paul writes this. And we impart this in words, look, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The words they impart, the New Testament epistles, the letters you have in your Bible, are taught by the Spirit, which is the same Spirit that Jesus said is going to have the same authority that He has as God, to give these apostles the very words of God. Okay? Um, and then, it, whenever you get all the way to the apostles, one more interconnection here in 2 Peter 3.15. It's kind of funny, this verse. Um, Peter's writing says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. I love this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. It's almost Peter's like, look, Paul's confusing. It's okay. Um, But there are things in the hard to understand which which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Here's the key. As they do the other scriptures. Do we have 16 up there? Look at the very end. As they do the other scriptures. So do you see what he's doing there? God the Father in the Old Testament, this is my words, my heart, my will, my mind. Jesus comes in and says, I'm one with the Father, and I speak with His authority, and then I'm going to give you my Spirit, who is going to guide you into all the truth with my authority from the Father, okay? And then the apostles, guided by that truth, say, we impart things not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit's wisdom. And then Peter himself says, look, people are going to twist the things that Paul is imparting by the Holy Spirit, just like they do the other scriptures. So, why did I do all that? To say this, we can confidently conclude that all Scripture in this text, contextually referring to our Old Testament, but logically by the, just the biblical accounts, not like me making this up, we can see that every word that we have in this Bible are the very words of God. And like, that's what we got to build a ministry off of, guys. Like, I, I love this. People still showing up to this, and all we pretty much have said is we're, we're never going to get fancy. You're just going to hear this a lot. And reborn people, this is what you crave. You know this deep down. But if you are not persevering, you're not killing sin, you have no desire for repentance, it may be because you are not understanding or seeing the importance of, these, of the fact that these are God's words. So, now that this phrase is solidified, the rest of this verse is absolutely stunning. So, we have all scripture, next part, breathed out by God. 
The words that we have in our Bibles are literally, yes, they are the words of God. You can know his mind, you can know his heart, you can know his will, you can see how he feels about things, you can see what he thinks about mankind. Like, God! I don't think we we stop and realize this enough. Because most of us have like six Bibles stacked in our bookshelves, right? Like, we're just giving them away, whatever. And like, I'm praying that the fact that 500 years ago there were people who they were convinced that this Bible is so good, everybody's got to have them, and we are enjoying the fruits of their labor. They wouldn't have done that just for a great story. They would only do that. Only William Tyndale would only get strangled on a stake and then burned, can't say burned alive, he was burned dead, I guess, later, because he was convinced that he had the words of God. So what does breathed out mean anyways? Because like that's a weird word picture to think. Like you, know, you got the apostle writing or the prophet, and he's like, I don't know. I, f- I see like blue fumes for some reason. I don't know why God's breath is blue in my imagination. But the, the more important things here is that breathed out by God is actually a metaphorical understanding that God, listen, spoke these words. God's words in written form, his spoken word written down for us. We have a 66 books of his words. 2 Peter 1.21, jot this scripture down. It's very important for this doctrine of inspiration. It says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. See that? Like the Bible that you have, this was not made up by people. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, men spoke, meaning God used a human author, but they were carried along by the Spirit in some supernatural way. God used their minds and their hands and their hearts and their personalities to write down the exact words that He wanted them to. This is, this is crazy stuff. Like a God that we say is all-powerful, all-knowing, creator of everything that is. And he has decided to step in, not just, not just like show us so off his glory from the sky, but he decided to speak to his creation. And then persevering, powerfully showing and, and, and keeping his words accurate and clear for us all the way down so we would have them in a book. This should motivate you for ministry. Because right now, I want you to think of some of your favorite Bible verses, some of your favorite Bible promises that you have turned to in times of need. And now, with, hopefully with new fervor and new freshness, you can listen to this and know they are absolutely true. All of them. All true. We should continue in the faith and ministry because we have the words of God in our Bibles. Think of just the true things we've covered in 2 Timothy alone. Like the fact that evil will not get very far. That's true. Absolutely true. But there's forgiveness and grace found on the cross. Like that's not something we have to hope we can figure out with human will. That was given to us by God. So, Here's what the power of the Word of God means for us and for non-Christians. Because these words that we have are the words of God, 
I think it's worth stopping again. Please don't let that word become cliche. I know Christian things a lot of times become cliche and they don't mean anything to us anymore. Don't let that one. You have the word of God. That means that the words you have in your Bible are completely authoritative on all matters pertaining to life and godliness. Which means when he speaks through his word about an issue, you are the wrong one. He is not. Doesn't matter how you twist or how you want to justify. He's right. And also for non-Christians, this is really intriguing as well because if, if this is authoritative and what God has to say about life and godliness and the gospel and his son, if these are true, that means other religions are false. It means that other thought processes are wrong. It does. If Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then with all of this inner biblical confirmation that the God's words are authoritative for everything in life, and that means this is worth listening to. If you're backsliding, like there's, there's, there's things that are said about people who won't repent of sin. These are true things. They are clear and meant to be understood. Yes, some things in the Bible are hard, but the Spirit of God promises to lead us into all truth is keep digging. And thirdly, how this matters for the, the power of the Word of God in our lives. Here's why it matters. First is that it's completely authoritative. Number two, it's clear, meant to be understood. Number three, they are completely necessary for living life as a created human. If God created humans and then spoke on all matters of life and godliness, what he has to say about everything is absolutely necessary for you living a Christian life. Three things. It's authoritative. It's clear. It's completely necessary. This kind of goes with the last one, but we'll, maybe we'll make number four here. They are completely sufficient for all that we need to do. Sufficient, meaning you actually do not need other things to live a full Christian life following Christ and do His ministry. You don't. And listen, we get in trouble with this sometimes. It can be as... I'm going to watch myself here. Um, we get in trouble with this sometimes. Okay, 1 Samuel 3.21. This is crazy. Look at this link here. All of this about the Word, right? I'm gonna, I wish I could like make the arrows stay there after I make them invisibly, but I can't. But look at this. 1 Samuel 3.21. And the Lord appeared again to Shiloh. For the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh, look at this, by the word of the Lord. What do we get from all of this? You don't need a quiet time subjective experience to have the Lord reveal Himself to you. The words of God are, is how God reveals Himself to you. Yes, you can see fingerprints of His in creation. Yes, you can see reflections of His glory in friendships and, and good conversations. But you can see and behold the face of God in His Word. 
This is what we have. That's the power of the word. Let's go back to the text. We have that up there? Good. All scripture. There we go. All scripture is breathed out by God. And here's the prophet. Profitable. So, this should probably go without saying, but we need to say this. The word of God, creator of the universe, all-powerful, deciding to reveal truth to us, it's authoritative, sufficient, necessary, all these things, is good for you. Makes sense, right? Like, they, they actually are profitable. It is useful. It is helpful. It is worth listening to. Look at Paul in Romans 15.4. He even says this about the Old Testament. Part of me is kind of like, all right, I get it. Like, New Testament makes sense. That's profitable. But how does the Old Testament write? Look at Paul. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Notice, former days was meant to instruct us and increase our endurance and our hope. Which means, like, yes, you can't get, pick out David and Goliath and say, okay, this is great, I'm David, and this next exam is Goliath, and I know that if I study five stones, and somehow I'll get an A, okay? You don't get to do that. But these stories are for you, and your instruction, and for your endurance, and your hope. Other places, Paul says this again in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, now these things happen to them, talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament, as an example But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Guys, is is it clear? Is it clear that this Bible is for you? God did not have to give you this. Every history that he kept and inspired the authors to write down is meant for your endurance and your hope. All of their failures and successes, all of these stories written down, kept for us by God's power. Which means these stories are yours. They're tools in your hands. They're weapons. They're weapons against sin. This Bible that people have died for is profitable. So what's it profitable for? Back to our text. The first thing that is profitable for is teaching. Now, this is a, if you want to take notes, this is a really good time to do that. Because we're going to ask four questions of these four different applications that the Word of God has. Okay? So the first one is that it's, it's powerful, it's profitable for teaching. So the question that teaching is, is what is right? And I have like a bunch of just cross references here. You don't have to, we're not going to exposit them all the way. I just want you to see this. Proverbs 4.11 I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. So know this, that the word of God, the wisdom that he has in the scriptures, shows us what is right. Shows us his standards. And you must understand that we don't get to go into our reading of scripture with the applications already in our head. You guys know that? Like, you don't get to go into a text and think, I know what this is said, I've heard this before, I need to kind of use this to justify whatever. God's word is profitable. It's good for, useful, helpful for showing you what is right. Also, next application. So for teaching, the next one is for reproof. So you see that? Profitable for teaching, for reproof. This answers the question this. What is not right? Okay? So if what is teaching is what is right, what is profitable for reproof, 
what is not right. And James 1, 23 through 24 shows us this. Sorry for the bouncing around, guys, but I was convicted that if I was going to have subpoints about a Bible message about the Bible's sufficiency, it made sense to not have my own points, right? Just let the Bible do it. Um, so here's what is not right. Shows us this. James 1. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. So the word of God shows us what is not right. It shows you sin. Remember, if God prohibits something, commands you not to do something, says this is sin, it is for your good and for your joy. So go in and think, ah, God just has all these rules about everything. They're meant for your good. Remember, he's the one that knows what it's like to be human. He knows how to, he created us, so he gets to call the shots on what the best human flourishing looks like. Just, just think about consequences of sin. Like, probably most of the worst times in your life, you can probably directly connect it to a sin. Either yours or somebody else's. Right? God prohibits things for your joy and for His glory. The Word of God is profitable. All 66 books, profitable for what is not right. Just like a mirror shows your failures. Use the commands of Christ to see if you're measuring up. And your answer is always going to be no. But it, it, the Word does that so you can repent. What is not right? For correction. Back to our text. So, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable. It's powerful. What is right? What is not right? And it's profitable for correction. Or, how do we become right? Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction. Some translations say correction. That you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen. Godly living depends on our ability to accept being corrected. It means if you're going this way, and the Bible has things to say about the path you're going on, and by the Spirit He's working in you, and you are obedient to that, you are being corrected. That is good for you. And it may hurt, okay? It may go against your values. But He's ultimately for your good. It is profitable for correction. So we must approach the Word humbly in hopes that we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. That is why one of the applications of the Word. Lastly, it is profitable for training. Or, another question if you're taking notes, how do we stay right? So, teaching what is right, reproof what is not right, correction, how do we become right, training, how do we stay right? Make sense? If you need those, we'll, we'll talk after I give you those. Um, but Titus 2, 11 and 12 shows us this. This is a great passage, showing us how the Word of God is profitable for training. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Everybody amens that, right? Salvation for all people. But look at this. Same grace of God that saves you, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Notice that the grace that brought salvation is the grace that trains us to say no to sin. This is the way that biblical grace works. If the Word of God is going to be profitable for training, 
That means you have to see grace as not just a divine cover-up for your sin. You must see it as the power to say no to sin. I'm not going to lie. This is, this is kind of where I got stuck in my studies. I was like, okay, trained, got these good questions. All right, let's do this. And then I, and I, was, I was left empty. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like... Man, you get up here and you yell a bunch, you make a Reformation reference, and you're probably doing okay. And, and, then, and then I just kind of got stuck. I was like, okay, so the Word of God is profitable, it's powerful, we know all these things. And then, you know, you all can just leave here thinking, oh my gosh, what is right? Not doing that. What is not right? Definitely doing that. How do I become right? I've ignored that. And how do I stay right? I can't wait to mess up. And, and, that's, and that's where I was, guys. Let me be honest. Like, I was, I was stuck. And... What I do when I'm stuck on lessons, I fret and I pace. Um, and honestly, I, I start praying, which is what I should have done first, but I fret and pace first, and then I pray. And then this, it was just, in a, in a fresh way, somehow it's like the, the Bible's authority and the Scripture and, and the Spirit. I don't know how He does it, okay? I don't want to debate that. But in some way, this next phrase jumped off the page to me. I want you to see this in the text. This should grab your heart. So in all of this, like, you don't know how to be right. You're, you're doing wrong things. You, you can't. You're not going on the right path. You're ignoring correction. All of these things. And then it says, and for training in righteousness. And you're like, yeah, how did you not see that? Okay, yeah, I know. It, it says in righteousness. In my immediate reading, when I'm a surface level reading, is I, I read it as a person who wanted to learn how to justify myself. Because I, I got to this text and I'm thinking, okay, all scriptures breathed out, it's for me, it's profitable, all I have to do is follow these instructions, I've got to stay away from the things that are reproved, I've got to make the certain corrections, and I've got to keep training myself for godliness and just grip my teeth, pull myself up on my bootstraps, and just keep living for God. And then I was blown up by that word, by that word righteousness. The point of your teaching Correcting, reproving, and ultimately for training in this grace is so that you would be righteous, but it's not your righteousness. That was a big relief for me. So I'm thinking, man, all these questions that I can't answer. And all of a sudden I see that the point of the Word of God is not to keep showing me that I'm unrighteous. Yes, at, at first. But the point, ultimate story of the Word of God, if you don't just reduce it to little morals and, and just principles, you see that the point is to show us that the Word of God is a story that leads us to God's Son dying on a cross and giving you His righteousness. The point is that in this correcting and training and being worked by the Word, you end up righteous. And not because you get moral, but because you look like Jesus. Don't get all these applications and get bogged down. You've got to see the gospel in this. Don't think, how can I get better? See these and say, how can I rely on Christ more? Some of you could still be stuck in sin because all you've done is stare at reproofs and have never looked beyond that to the one who died for all the times you've messed up. The message of Christianity is not behave, it is behold. Jared Wilson, one of my favorite authors, said this. He said, talking to preachers, he says, listen, the best application that you can make, it's kind of what we're talking about here, applications. The best application that you can make in a sermon is the application of grace to a sinful heart. 
You must see that this righteousness that the Lord is using, His Word to work in His people, is a righteousness that is not ours naturally. It's only the supernatural righteousness of Christ being worked in our lives. When you see what is right, praise the Lord that Jesus lived a perfectly right life and gave that to you in His death and resurrection and now empowers you to live rightly. When you see what is wrong, praise the Lord that Jesus died for every single time you blow it and says to you, go and sin no more and you no longer feel God's wrath against your sin. Instead, by the power of the Word, you feel God's wrath you don't feel it on you in condemnation, you feel it against it in repentance. When you see how to become right, praise the Lord that He disciplines the ones that He loves. He didn't have to give us His Word to show us the way for our joy and His glory. And when you see how to stay right, remember to beg God for more faith, to see more of Jesus, so you can rely on Him. So, how do we connect all of these things to the perseverance in the ministry? That's where we got to get, right? That's the point. Here's the deal. And, and some of y'all know you're feeling this. Like, I've had conversations with y'all. You all are worn out and done and, and confused and, and keep going back to the same sins. You don't understand. Why am I not being effective? Here's the deal. Every enemy that you have, Satan, the world, and your flesh is working against you. They don't want you to stay focused and zealous for ministry. They want you to sin and back down and quit and give up. And I want you to know, when you approach the Word in devotion, when you hear the Word of God preached, let these applications of the Word of God unleash the freedom you have by the grace of God to keep going. See, the enemy is going to use what is not right and just use that to say, see, Christians don't do that. You must not be real or legit. But, but the Word says that you're being reproved for righteousness, and that righteousness is not yours. These words, these applications will call you to repentance, guard your heart from pride, give you promises to cherish, and ultimately remind you of your hope. And your knowledge and conviction about the truthfulness of the things that I'm saying about the Word of God are going to have a direct correlation to how you persevere in ministry. So now we know, in some way, it is likely that every sermon you hear and every time you study the Word, it's either going to be teaching, reproofing, correcting, or training you. It's fair, right? It's going to be doing one of those things. Arm yourselves with the purposes of those things. And this is the big application. Obey. <laughs> Don't obey for righteousness. Obey because you've been given righteousness. And you want to bring glory to God and stay on mission. Ask yourself, are there are commands you need to follow. Ask yourself if there are sins you need to confess. Ask yourself if there are commitments you need to obey. Ask yourself if there are promises you need to claim to continue walking in grace. But make sure you're not just letting these be helpful confessionally. Because you're not, this is crazy, but it's true. You're not really obeying the word until you're obeying it. <laughs> that sounds weird, but so often we like to read things and like not, it doesn't go there. We need to learn the art of quick confession of sin and a quick resolve to obey the gospel. Lastly, power, profit, purpose. 317 says this. Here's the reason all this happens. That the man of God may be complete. Some translations say competent. Some say mature. And equipped for every good work. So the power of His righteousness in us. 
leads us to the purpose of our Bible reading. Because the power leads to the prophet, and the prophet leads to the purpose, and it's two things. God, by his spirit, is laboring to make you a man or woman of God that is complete and mature. And also, to make you a man or woman of God that is equipped for every good work that you're going to encounter. It may be that being a complete or mature man or woman of God is to be equipped for every good work. But I can't help but see something incredible before I pray for you. The mission statement of this whole ministry is that we want to just equip you to abide in Christ and advance the gospel. That's it. We want to see you love Jesus, and we want to see you spread his name. Look at this. Abide, becoming mature and complete. Advance, equipped for every good work. I love that. That's why I preach the Bible. We must be complete and equipped to remain effective in ministry. And here's what it's going to involve before I pray. This is going to involve being convinced that the word of God is power. Knowing that these are the words of God. And that the word of God is profitable. Letting these words change your life. So you can be ready for this purpose. Because if the word is true in all that it says about God and us and everything. Then we have reason to hope and to keep going. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now um, overwhelmed by the sacrifices that some of your men and women of God made 500 some years ago so we could have this Bible. Father, thank you for not leaving us with these heavy burdens of application and and not letting us see the gospel, knowing that this righteousness is a foreign righteousness. This is not coming from us. You gave this to us, and we only know about that because of your word. Fathers, we get ready to just sing and explode in, in thankfulness and thankfulness and celebrating the righteousness that you have given us in these songs. I pray you would humble us, that you would reproof us, you would correct us, you would train us, you would teach us, you would make us people that are quick to confess and quick to obey. Father, by the power of your word, do a work here tonight. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.